It sounds so professional, and Marlene does such a brilliant job. I, I, I <laughs> yes, hear, I do. I see what you did there. <laughs> Welcome to The Geek in Review, the podcast designed to cover the legal information profession with a slant toward technology and management. I'm Marlene Gaybauer. And I'm Greg Lambert. So Marlene, I kind of put you up to something while you were in Austin, Texas this week. You did. So for the listeners of The Geek in Review who may also listen to another podcast called Make Me Smart, you may notice that we love the way that Kai Rizdahl and Molly Wood interact on their podcast. So Marlene and I pay tribute to the style of podcast. We try. Yeah. <laughs> we, we do our best here on the Geek and Review uh, to kind of look like Make Me Smart. So as Marlene pointed out to me this week, I'm kind of a big fanboy of both Kai and Molly. When I listened to this week's episode of Make Me Smart, and Kai mentioned that Molly was off this week attending a conference in Austin, and I suddenly realized that my own co-host, Marlene, was also in Austin. Light bulb. I kind of started scheming a way that I could see if I could get Marlene and Molly to meet up while they were there. I did what any adult would do in that situation, and I triple dog dared Marlene. Triple. To send out a tweet to Molly and have her meet her at this event that you were going to that night. I know, it's very mature of me. <laughs> it was. And in equally mature nerd girl fashion, I accepted the challenge Woo-hoo! and invited Molly to come out and hear a blues band in East Austin. But before we get to that, some funny background. So when Greg texted me, I said, oh yeah, there's a public radio conference at the Hyatt. Now I had been booked at the Hyatt, but unfortunately I booked for the wrong day, which is something I do fairly regularly. Yeah, you, you, you are uh, uh, Date, uh, what's, what's date challenge. Date challenge when it comes to <laughs> online forms. It's true. Uh, so I had to go to another hotel. So I was bummed that I missed the opportunity to meet Molly and my other public radio faves in the lobby. So, okay, back to the invite. So Molly didn't come out, but she did respond, and she apologized that she couldn't make it. I still count that as a win, and yes, Greg, I am never going to stop talking about it to you. Oh, well, good, yes. I, I was glad that... You know, I was pretty excited when she replied. It's like, oh, my God, started texting you. <laughs> All right, so ILTA wrapped up this week in D.C. I did not attend, but I did monitor a lot of the Twitter and other social media feeds that talked about the sessions. For those of you that may not know, ILTA is the International Legal Technology Association. That's where all the IT, KM, and, and other technical folks in law firms go to hang out for a week in, uh, in one of the Gaylord facilities. It sounds sounds like there was a lot going on and some really good topics being discussed. And I really want to thank Ron Friedman for live blogging a particular session on experience collection. Thank you, Ron. At law firms because, dude, I owe you a top shelf drink because I'm working on a project that just covers that. And you basically did the work for me. So, you know, thanks. I do want to talk about one thing that I saw on Twitter this week. And I felt like it was kind of a jumping the shark kind of moment. And I I, want to be careful because this is a very minor issue, so I don't want to make a bigger deal of it than it is. But it kind of got underneath my skin because it goes straight to the heart of the very concept that we criticize our lawyers for doing. And that is not understanding or talking to your clients to determine what's important to them. The tweet went something along the lines of uh, one speaker was paraphrasing something that was said a few years ago by another speaker at ILTA. And it was the idea of, well, look, 
time has gone and we have done nothing about this. This is how horrible we, we are as an industry. And it was something along the line of if an airline website were like a law firm's website, you'd be able to see pictures of airplanes, but you wouldn't be able to purchase tickets or go anywhere. And people were like, yeah, law firm websites suck. <laughs> clients can't get self-flagellation this. over law over websites, right? <laughs> so clients can't get the services they want from our websites. Again, I'm, I'm being a little over dramatic here, um, but you know, at the time, that's how I was seeing it in my mind. Uh, <laughs> you were you were in a bad mood, I think. I was. I, I'm like you know, Mr. Downer this week. So my initial reaction was this, and I think I actually retweeted it. I, I know I you did. Um, what services are you going to buy from your law firm to their website? And I'll even widen the scope here a bit. What professional services industry has products that you can purchase via their website? And I and I am sure there's something out there. Uh, I'm, you know, obviously and somebody will tell us. Yeah, yeah please do. At Gaybauer M <laughs> on Twitter. But but I, but I really think that legal advice and counsel isn't something that you just simply point click, enter a credit card number, and get some kind of transaction out of the deal. You might get that in like a solo or small firm where there are more opportunities for things like scheduling appointments or submitting initial information for personal legal needs. But for the people attending ILTA, this they're not solo small firm people. Again, don't want to focus on the, spe- on the specific thing at the detriment of the other great stuff that was going on at ILTA and with law firms. But this feels like one of those, it feels really good to say it statements, which can backfire on us if we're not careful. Well, Greg, it wouldn't be our podcast if you didn't stir up some controversy, right? Ooh, I got my stick out and I'm stirring. <laughs> In that same theme, I saw an article on LinkedIn the other day called, You're a Lawyer, But Can You Run a Law Firm? It highlighted several law schools that are providing various business of law classes for their law students, which I think is a good thing. However, you had a very interesting insight when we discussed this. Oh, man. I'm, again, I, let me pull my stick out and start stirring again. All right, here we go. You noted that all the schools mentioned were tier two and three law schools, and were they trying to find a way to differentiate themselves in the market? And then you question whether this is really a factor in hiring, which I thought was a great insight, which really surprised me, actually. <laughs> I, I, hey, every <laughs> once in a while, even a broken clock is right twice a day, right? <laughs> no, seriously, it, it's a very good insight because, I, you know, I wonder myself, you know, in terms of, of, of law firm recruiting, you know, particularly in big law, I mean, are, are, are they really, you know, looking to, to some of these organizations um, for their hiring? I think firms should be looking at students with this background because we will be hiring them for new sorts of legal support roles. I think, you know, firms would be wise to keep this in mind because it opens a broader opportunity for up-and-coming professionals who may not make partnership track yet will be able to significantly contribute to income stream for legal operations organizations. Now, Greg, I want you to note, I didn't just limit that to law firms. As, as you shouldn't. And, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with Tier 2 and Tier 3 schools. Of course not. In of themselves, not everyone can be a, a Tier 1 school. The issue I have is whether or not this is a, a real differentiator. And they're not cheap. These schools cost almost as much as your tier one. Well, in fact, they're actually more expensive than some of the public tier one Mm -hmm. schools. So it's just I I appreciate the idea of thinking of different ways to enrich a student's educational experience. I just don't know that whether or not this is a real differentiator or if it's a public relations type 
differentiator. I, I don't know of law firms out there that are specifically looking for this and hiring associates. Now, where they might be looking for it is the legal ops people. So the people that are looking for alternative uh, legal careers, maybe that's that's it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, if it's PR, I mean, I hope in, in that sense it's working because, again, um, you know, not everybody is able to go for various reasons to tier one schools. And this may give them greater opportunity to work in an environment that maybe they, they wouldn't have the opportunity to do so. And I'm, I'm all for that as long as everyone is on the same page. That's what our goals are. Right. Today's guest is a longtime friend for both of us, and she even worked for Greg when she started her career. Emily Rushing is the Director of Competitive Intelligence at Haynes & Boone in Dallas, Texas. But I think that title really doesn't do justice to your overall impact on on what you've done over there in the last few years. Can you tell us about it? Thank you, Marlene. Thank you both for the opportunity to be here, a longtime listener and fan of uh, this podcast. So. um, at least, Honored at least and two excited. Months two months, yeah. <laughs> I had to email and beg to be invited. So this is a, a big win for me. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and that's exactly right, Marlene. I, yeah, competitive intelligence uh, is one of those phrases, one of those job titles. Um, I refer to our practice just like lawyers, you know, our, our CI or competitive intelligence practice. But what does that mean here at Haynes & Boone? I, I started my career with Greg at King & Spalding. I've been at Haynes & Boone for 10 years. I was asked to join in 2008 to create... Greg is like making a face right now. Like, oh my God, it's been 10 <laughs> I years. Know. years. I know. Crap. As I remember um, babysitting Greg's kids when they were a little bitty, they'd sit under my desk and collate cases and staple staple they put with the staplers yep. yeah right so on, they're right all on the ledge of the 39th <laughs> floor <laughs> again yeah. world's okayest dad <laughs> <laughs> so yeah 2008 i was asked by our then chair of the business development committee and then cmo and then managing partner i was asked to come in and create a competitive intelligence practice a function here at the firm then within business development which we uh, group business development and marketing at that time our firm had eight offices I want to say, um, historically Texas-centric. So the vision in 2008 was how the firm at that point was two years into executing on a 15-year strategy, uh, our 2020 plan. The firm needed to grow and the firm was building a business development function uh, like many firms. And this is right at the recession, really right in the middle of the uh, perfect time to do that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and like so many firms, the idea of having a CMO was very new. The idea of having any kind of official business development or sales support strategic roles were were, it was still new. It was still really unusual. So that must have been challenging. I mean, because, again, no one really knew what the the path was to to follow. That's right. Well, I can tell you right right now, the most stunning part of that was that it was a 15 year plan because most firms barely plan past this fiscal year. (laughs) That's true. That's true. What have you been doing recently? That was the role that was created. I was hired in. It was just me for a long time, a number of years. It was just one CI professional 
not in the library, not in a knowledge management uh, function, embedded within business development. That never really felt right, but it worked really well as a high volume, very engaged CI services practice. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad to say we got to work on and support a lot of the execution of this 2020 plan. Uh, everything from opening new offices, building out new practice groups, navigating that difficult economic period. So that was that was really awesome. And at that time, because it was BD and marketing, I had the CRM function. So what we called competitive intelligence then was research, information services, market segmentation. I've also always had CRM. So there's always been that kind of database, data, uh, data analytics, DB admin function, very more IT oriented. But but very useful for this for this space. Absolutely. And critical really. or to what we do. How do who are our clients? How do we know them? What are our interactions with them? It is absolutely core. I almost cannot imagine CI functions that don't work that closely with CRM. Uh, I know that's common. A lot of firms are not that coupled, but I can't imagine my practice without CRM being a core. Everything from taxonomy and metadata design, you know, how do we label and classify our industries? How do we label and classify our practice areas, our clients and their industries? Those are challenges that I think librarians are perfectly suited to address. That a database administrator or a marketing professional, while they're important in a lot of other areas, nobody is better at metadata taxonomy than a librarian. I love that interaction. I think that's really critical to the success of CI here. Um, and CI, so because we've got this mixed bag, right? I'm a librarian. I've always identified as a librarian. We've got CRM. We've got BD research support. We've got what I call library classic, you know, just straight up collection management, collection development, delivering, you know, reference and research services, classic librarianship. We've always defined, I've always defined competitive intelligence very broadly. So I've always said it's any information that's actionable that helps Haynes and Boone and our clients more effectively compete. Let me just stop you for just a second and ask. So CRM is the thing that we know we need, but it is the thing that we hate to use. So how do you encourage your attorneys to use the CRM and what benefit do they get as a result of their using the CRM? It's a great question. And again, yeah, most firms have that function embedded in either there's a DB admin or server admin role in IT, and then it's a marketing. And it's it's often a, a lower level team rolling up to an operations manager or, or something similar. But it has this tremendous potential to be very strategic and navigating those challenges. You know, it, the answer to that needs to be set at the very highest levels within the firm. It has everything to do with culture. So the answer to how you do that is how leadership at your organization organization promotes, incentivizes all of our professionals to share their information. Haynes and Boone benefits from our compensation structure. We are not eat what you kill. You are not incentivized. No one is incentivized here to hide their contacts, to not share or display information about their clients. We have a CI service, so we're embedding news feeds into the CRM. We're developing analytics around millions of rows of activities. So we really closely connect results and, you know, we're helping you lawyers make money. You know, we attach CRM very closely to how you go and make money and how you serve your client. Um, we also, I mean, really prosaic and really tactical. You don't get reimbursed for BD activities, which See, is common. There, there's the piece I was looking for. Where was the stick? <laughs> I was just going to yep. ask. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's the stick. Yep. Awesome. So if you want awesome. your $27 back for your sandwich, uh, you got to put it into the system. The IT piece, we are using this phrase user adoption. Uh, I think we all, whether you're in a library role or or a partner leadership role. User adoption, meaning change management, right? I think I've heard that term a few times lately. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, <laughs> right. Maybe. I mean, we're all struggling with this. So I think that's the other piece of your question, um, Greg, is, you know, how do we how do we put it in the hands of the users and like all the systems and data and brilliant librarians in the world just lead balloon, <laughs> right? Unless your personnel aren't sitting with that CRM product in front of them, but how do you get that? So we actually, our CRM function, we're the escalation point, again, prosaic, we're the escalation point to the help desk and it's very high touch. So a secretary says, something, something's not working. My, you know, my little plugin and my Outlook didn't click properly. It doesn't go into general software support. It comes to the database owners and that's a phone call or walk over to the desk. It's a lot of work and time, but rather than treat it like Word or Microsoft, we have 1,100 users are in this system all day, every day, and it's their data and it's them interacting with the software. And we spend a lot of hands-on time with our administrative professionals, all of our lawyers, hundreds of users saying, you guys have to be competent in this. You got to spend your time working with your data. This is how you do it. We need to hear back from you. And we've really outgrown the products we're using now too. Well, one of the things I'm hearing is that this is more about process management than it is about software management. And so you see the CRM more as a process than you see it as the software that is being used. And I'll add on to that, that that you're basically part of this process is that you're making the end user comfortable with using the data as opposed to, you know, having, you know, a professional handle it for them that that basically you're putting it in their hands and helping them be efficient in using it. Uh, very curious about the challenges there since we we always hear how it's difficult to get people to learn things, particularly if it's if it's not something where they're incentivized by money or billing or whatever. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the and you touched on it, the, the downsides, right? It's probably source data. And so the challenges from a data stewardship standpoint, right, as we start to leverage analytics and we're pointing Tableau, we're pointing you know, large scale analytics tools at these millions of rows, we're uncovering lots of issues with how data is entered, how it's been validated, consistency standards. Can you give me just an example or is that top secret? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's like really prosaic examples. I know you guys have all dealt with this too. Historically, law firm billing systems have been treated like an ERP, but they're not. What they're not good at or designed for or purpose built at all is to capture attributes that describe companies accurately besides where to mail the invoice. That's not, and it should not be the system of authority. So I guess the $64,000 question, is the fix a manual fix? Is it an automated fix? Is it something that we can throw AI tools at? Please say, please say yes. It has to be. You can't do this by hand. You can't throw bodies at this. I mean, this scale. And, and I will tell you that the very first thing that I hear and I've heard for 20 years is, well, we'll just one, give it to the secretary to clean up. Yep. Two, hire data stewards Yep. to do it. Which is uh, very expensive. Which yep. yeah, is ungodly expensive. Mm -hmm. and, and also and, you're just getting a different flavor of bad data. Well, you, yeah. And you're, you're just pushing, you're kicking that can down the road. Right. So, exactly. Unless there's so, a process involved you know, that everyone follows, everyone will have their own interpretation. Yeah. You have to use automation. I, I think, I think what's driving it, I think the reason we're making any progress is the, the opportunity, you know, to make money and to improve client service. As long as it's coupled with those goals, you can get the money, you can get the resources, you can get commitments to throw some AI at it, build something to you know, take a leap and test these new ideas. Can this help us? But it has to be so closely connected. Can this help us make more money? Can this solve our clients' problems? I, I love that she says, can it make more money rather than 
Does it produce ROI? I Am I going to fatten up. my wallet? I can dress it up if we want. <laughs> but that's the truth, right? No, don't get too day. fancy. I, I already had to look up. I literally had to look up what prosaic meant. So, <laughs> Have you found that, I mean, with a 15-year plan, I, I'm assuming that unanticipated things do happen and that the firm adjusts as they go along? Yeah, and I think we were over, I mean, I even heard our managing partner this morning say, you know, we don't think we could do 15 years again. Like that's, that was a stretch. It was aspirational. It didn't, it's not a hundred percent. It just did not work out in every single aspect. You know, a lot of it did, though. Um, and it's really been marching orders. I sit down to write my budget. I sit down to uh, plan for hiring, plan for projects and initiatives within my group. I start with that. I open that first and like, OK, where are we? All right. Page 11. OK, now we know what we're doing this year. <laughs> I had a question about like information sharing, both from a perspective of, of some of the AI tools that that we may be using which, you know, may be cloud-based as, as well as your model where you may have, you know, you're training people to sort of use this and, and disseminate it. You know, and I think about, you know, banking clients that, that are very particular about what, what is shared. I, I think about all the GDPR issues now that we're, we're facing. So what are you doing and what are you thinking about in those terms? Two points, I think about the information governance and, and compliance and security issues. For one, I think there needs to be a lot of education with lawyers and our clients around what, what standards we've been holding ourselves to, honestly, and, and unrealistic expectations of exactly how secure things have been when you're talking about cloud, right? How secure is it really on a server in a basement in an area that floods Houston, right? <laughs> um, Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> how safe was your data already? I, it's just a lot of education. And the clients are doing it too. I mean... That was the other point. So you started with banks, which I think is a great example. You know, uh, we were talking about Salesforce and, you know, Azure and AWS and, and, you know, different hosted services and the idea of saying, oh, you know, can law firms ever really use something like Salesforce? And when you whip out the deck and show, actually, here's your list of your clients. These are all already on that particular cloud or product. Again, it's an education. It just blows people's minds. Oh my gosh, really? I think to that education part, IT and our operations infrastructure security professionals, our own internal white hat, need to be involved in that uh, discussion. The other thing I think is the point clients are doing it already. If you want analytics, if you want to use your data, you are talking about cloud. It's the only way to do it. There is no on-prem way to process, to manage, to, to deal with millions and millions of rows and huge, huge, huge data sets and databases. It's really impractical to envision doing that in a local network environment. And again, that's education for lawyers. Well, you can't have both. Mm -hmm. It's either locked down and not on cloud or you don't. It's a business decision. You know, it's a you business decision. Wait. And it's a hard one because it's technical. And I don't blame anybody for being intimidated it's, it's whole, by it. It's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hey. it is. yes, it is. So I wanted to, to circle back to some things you were talking about earlier, but also some things you touched on just in this, this, this last response. You were talking about how your group is very client-focused and everything is very about the client. And you were also talking about cases of security and, and even you're sort of the first front for the help desk, how different departments kind of have to work together. What are the challenges there? Because, you know, I I think in talking to other people, it's 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 generally the experience that that sometimes it's difficult for departments to collaborate and kind of understand who's doing what and who should be doing what, and you know make it flow in in, in a smooth sort of way. What are, what are some of the challenges you see there? It is tremendously challenging, isn't it? And uh, 
and I'll be kind of optimistic um, and say, I, I, you know, I think and certainly feel this way about my colleagues uh, here and, and else in other firms and other librarians at other firms when we all talk, having the same problems. Um, yeah, I, it comes from a good place, right? So the accounting group is not trying to screw me up with the name of the client. Nobody right. meant that. The intention in every respect was to do the right thing for the firm, to do exactly what the client asked, exactly how they wanted that invoice prepared and delivered uh, as efficiently as possible. So th that's coming from the best possible intentions. But but starting that dialogue in a way that, that allows everyone to say, look, we are in this together. We are all trying to do the right thing. The number one priority is always the client, is always the integrity of the service we provide to the client, period. Our clients don't just have legal problems. They have business problems with a legal aspect. In order to meet our clients' needs and make money, hello, everybody wants to make some money, we got to do this. And it, we can start with, like, let's all just get past that first part. Everybody's fine. Everybody's pretty. We're all doing a good job. Nobody's mad. Let's start and move that past. But that takes tact and that takes leadership and that takes people with a, a little um, remove. Nobody, no one stakeholder, somebody outside of that immediate stakeholder to say, you know, everybody take a deep breath. We're going to say some complicated things. It, you might have a feeling. You might have a reaction. Stick with us through that to the answer because you guys are the best positioned to solve this problem, but we got to get past the challenges and the reactions. So what you're saying is we're all on the same team. We're all in the same boat. We're all rowing in the right direction and we have to trust each other to get to the goal. Sounds, sounds like you can apply that to almost anything. That's true. <laughs> it's true. It is true. Yeah. All right. Well, Emily, I, I think we've held you about as long as we need to. Uh, thank you very much for Thanks. taking the time to talk with us. It's been very entertaining. Yes, thank you, Emily. This has been great. I, I, it's been so fun. Her, thank I you, guys. Oh, <laughs> You guys are my favorite. Congrats on the awesome podcast. All right. Well, this has been Emily Rushing, who's the Director of Competitive Intelligence at Haynes & Boone. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Emily. Bye. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. I think that was a great uh, time we spent with with Emily. Uh, it's it's fantastic to hear some of the stuff that that she's doing and what she's been able to accomplish. Yes, I I have taught her well. <laughs> Every, everything oh, she no. has learned, I, I have taught her. <laughs> just, just kidding. Now Emily is great. That's uh, uh, even though she works at a at a firm that we directly compete with, it it still is one of those things where I just admire what she's done there and how far she's she's come in the in the decade that, that she's been working there so kudos to emily and thanks for talking with us uh, i really liked what what emily had to say i mean she offered some some really thoughtful insights about the challenges internally that she and and you know other members of you know her department might you know be experiencing in terms of you know moving in this direction towards client customer satisfaction um, you know it's it's a hard thing to get a very large organization with different people and different groups you know with different priorities to kind of move all in the same direction together so you know kudos to her absolutely absolutely so uh, guess what, Marlene? Mm, what, Greg? 
We are entering our third month of podcasting. That's I, that's just crazy. I know, I know. <laughs> and and we have an internal joke that we say, you know, we knew this was going to be fun, but we didn't know it was going to be this much fun. So are you still having fun? I am still having so much fun doing this. <laughs> that's good. And Marlene, it's been great having you here in Texas and being able to do these podcast recordings side by side. It's uh, It's been fun. Um, I'm going to be traveling most of next week, so this may be our last one that we get out uh, while we're all in the same room, but hopefully we can find ways of reducing these stupid technical difficulties we have that seem to plague us. Well, you know, now that you got your new microphone, so I got to tell everybody, you know, on the last podcast, Greg was talking about my microphone and Mic- he, microphone envy. It is totally microphone envy. So he got one now. So now he has one that that looks just like mine. So uh, I'm sure all the technical problems will be fine now. Go no, away. My, mine's blue. That's true. Yours is blue. It's totally Mine different. is silver. It's totally different because yes. it's blue. All right. Well, if you like what you hear, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening. Take a couple of minutes to rate the Geek and Review and leave a comment so that others can find us. If you have questions or comments, uh, especially if you have bad comments, uh, send those to Marlene at M. If you have nice comments to make, you know, send those to me at G. Lambert or Lambert. Special thanks to Emily Rushing for talking with us today. And thanks to Kevin McLeod for his original music. Yes, thank you both. Bye. Bye.